crooked above her head on the pillow like a movie star swooning for the cameras. As a blizzard of vegetation slammed into the windshield, Burke had an epiphany. A nine-millimeter round wasn't going to kill him. What was going to kill him was a tidal wave of bad karma brought on by years of photographing people in extremis. Whatever his intentions, however benign they might have been, to expose, to explain, the simple reality was that he had made his living on other people's despair. The more painful the images in the photographs he took, the better they sold. That fact did something to a person. The favelas in Rio, the orphanage in Bucharest, the red-light district in Calcutta. He thought he had been doing a public service, when in reality it had all been a kind of well-intended voyeurism. And now today, barely a week before his twenty-eighth birthday, he was on his way to take pictures at a refugee camp for children who had suffered amputations in the Diamond Wars. Except he wasn't going to make it. He wasn't going anywhere but down. The helicopter dug deeper into the canopy of the forest, and Burke wordlessly realized he'd never again take another photograph. One way or another, he was done with that. Jesus! Something came through the windshield with a crash, and Rubini's forehead exploded, sending a spray of blood and brains through the cockpit. Burke caught a mouthful as the chopper meteored through the trees, bucking, plunging, falling like a box of tools, slamming finally into the waterlogged earth of a swamp. So this, Burke thought, is what it's like to be dead. But that didn't make much sense. If you were dead, you didn't feel dead. So maybe he was dying. That made more sense, because he felt as if every bone in his body was broken. He tasted blood in his mouth. He was shaking, and the world was churning, slowly round and round. His eyes flew open, and he realized what was happening. The helicopter was revolving on its axis like a blue-bottle fly in its death throes. The overhead rotor slashed at the water, the earth, and the trees, then flew apart like a grenade, sending shrapnel in every direction. The engine coughed, spluttered, and whined, showering sparks through the cockpit. With great difficulty, Burke fumbled with his seatbelt. Even the smallest movement was painful. His body was a bag of broken glass and thorns, and he was covered with blood. It ran down the side of his face, and his shoulders were soaked. But that wasn't right. It wasn't just blood. He took a deep breath and choked on it. Aviation fuel. His fingers tore at the seatbelt. But even as it popped open, he realized it was too late. A soft whoomp announced the fuel's ignition, and in an instant the cockpit was engulfed. His shirt went off like a flare, and for a moment it seemed as if the side of his head was on fire. Stumbling and falling, he erupted out of the cockpit, tearing the shirt off his chest, staggering blindly until a fallen log caught his foot and spilled him into a pool of shallow water, where he lay for hours or days, delirious and suppurating. Incredibly, his burns attracted the attention of bees who fed on the clear liquid oozing from his skin. Occasionally, he rose to consciousness, only to faint dead away. There was the pain, of course. That, and the sight of the apiary embedded in his chest. Bad karma? Oh, yeah. Chapter One West Beirut, Two Years Later they sat on revolving stools at a small plastic table under the proprietary gaze of Colonel Sanders. Sunlight poured through the oversized windows. Behind the corniche, the beach curled away like a ribbon of gold, and the Mediterranean sparkled. 
Hakim, the older man, sat with his hands folded in front of him like a schoolchild waiting for class to begin. They were beautiful hands with long and elegant fingers, and they were carefully manicured. <sighs> Too much, he said, nodding toward the windows. The younger man, whose name was Bobo John Simoni, screwed his face into a squint and nodded. I know, it's too bright. The older man shook his head. I meant the glass, if there was a car bomb. Bobo John nibbled on a chunk of popcorn chicken, then wiped his hands with a paper napkin. Ah, that was a long time ago. No one's fighting now. It's different. He bowled up the napkin and dropped it on the tray. His uncle grunted. It's always different until something goes off. Bo chuckled. He would like to have said something clever, but that wasn't his way. And besides, there was too much noise. A baby wailed in the center of the restaurant. Behind the counter, the manager berated a teary-eyed cashier, while a mixtape of Tony Bennett and Um Kaltum floated above the tables. The older man lifted his chin toward a poster of the KFC colonel, plastered against the window. You think he's a Jew? Bo glanced around. Who? His uncle nodded at the poster. The owner. It has the lips of a Jew. Bo shrugged. He was dressed in a black T-shirt and a pair of carefully ironed Lucky Brand jeans. Mephisto loafers and a Patek Philippe watch completed the ensemble, all of which had been bought the week before at a shopping mall a few blocks from his new apartment in Berlin. If he's a Jew, his uncle continued, the meat's probably halal. Like he cares, Bo thought. But what he said was, Right. In fact, Bo didn't know a whole lot about Jews. He had heard there were a couple in Allenwood, but... Ah, let's walk, his uncle said, suddenly disgusted. Outside, Zero and Khalid sat in the BMW smoking cigarettes. Seeing Am Hakim leave the restaurant with his nephew, they scrambled out of the car to fall in step behind. Nineteen years old, they dressed alike in short-sleeved shirts, running shoes, and jeans. Zero carried a brown paper bag with a grease stain on its side. Khalid swaggered beside him, a Diodora gym bag hanging from a strap over his shoulder. Since they had already eaten and weren't going to a soccer match, Bo was pretty sure that the bags held something heavier than sandwiches and a jock strap. It was a beautiful day, but then it was always a beautiful day in Beirut. Just down the coast, near the Summerland Resort, he could see windsurfers zipping back and forth under a cloudless sky. He and his uncle walked arm in arm, heads bent in conversation, moving toward the city's improbable Ferris wheel, past vendors of coconuts and corn on the cob. It was Sunday, and the Corniche was mobbed. There were kids on rollerblades, lovers and joggers, girls in abayas, girls in miniskirts. Syrian commandos lounged against the seawall, preening in their tiger stripes. Berlin, it's okay for you? Bo nodded. Yeah. His uncle smiled. What do you like best about it? The work? Of course you like the work. I mean besides the work. Bo shrugged. Finally, he said, the architecture. Really? Yes, I like it. It's new. His uncle walked with his eyes on the ground, his brow furrowed in thought. And the pussy? Bo nearly choked. His uncle smiled. In Berlin, it's crazy pussy. He took Bo by the arm. I am told, please. Bo couldn't believe it. The color rose in his cheeks. 
He looked away, mumbling something that even he didn't understand. His uncle laughed and pulled him closer. Suddenly, he was serious. Find a girlfriend, German, Dutch, whatever. Take her out, be seen with her, and get rid of the beard. Bo was astonished. But it's haram. His uncle shook his head. Do what I tell you, and stay away from the mosques. They are filled with informants. It took him a second, but then he understood and smiled. Okay, he said. Your friend, Wilson, he's a kafir? Well, Bo let the sentence die. There were nicer ways to say that Wilson wasn't a Muslim. His uncle threw him an impatient look. You trust him? Yes. Hakim looked skeptical. A Christian? He's not a Christian. He's not anything at all. His uncle scowled. Everyone is something. Bo shook his head a second time. With him it's different. He's not religious. Which makes Mr. Wilson what? Bo thought about it. Finally, he said, a bomb. Hakim smiled. He liked melodrama. What kind of bomb? A smart bomb. The answer seemed to please his uncle, because he stopped at an ice cream cart to buy each of them a dove bar. When they resumed walking, Hakim asked, But this bomb of yours, why does he want to help us? Because he's angry. Hakim scoffed. Everyone's angry. I know, but Wilson is angry in the right way. We want the same thing. A dismissive puff of air fell from his uncle's lips as he looked down and shook his head. I can't believe you trust an American. He's not an American. I mean, he is, but he isn't. Wilson's people, they're like us. You mean they're poor? Bo shook his head.